What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. And this is Nate Drolet. And together we form Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar. Okay. Any ideas? I mean, other than musicians? <laughs> no. It's because the remix of Taylor Swift's song, Bad Blood, because, well, People don't like change, and I'm about to tell a lot of people that they need to catch up to a changing world. So this has basically, for today, become the Bad Blood Climbing Podcast. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take uh, a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. Hey, I can't take it back. Look where I'm at. I don't hate you, but I hate to critique overrate you. <laughs> we are the Bad Blood Climbing Podcast. Love it. So, Nate, this is basically going to be a crossover episode, like hip hop taught me everything remixed with uh, a board meeting. So you're just going to have to indulge me with all these clips that I've got. And shout out to Lauren Abernathy for helping me find these clips. <laughs> the, the reason I wanted to talk to you about this is because recently, I think earlier this year, I don't think it was the end of last year, I think it was earlier 2023, there was a, a big to-do over Eddie Bauer firing their pro athletes in favor mm -hmm. of influencers. And we've heard lots of pros lament the fact that they have to produce content and that the likes on their posts and videos and the views on their videos mean more than how hard they're climbing or how authentic, air quotes, the, the adventures they're having are. And, and I'm not throwing shade at the athletes who are lamenting that, but it's happened again and again and again and again. And we keep hearing this, right? Yeah. You know, it happened with... Pocket Media acquiring outside climbing and rock and ice and then shutting down the climbing print mags. And it's a tale we just keep hearing, especially as climbing gets more popular. And I'm mostly ambushing you with all of this. So <laughs> feel free to interject at any point where you see fit. But I'm curious what your initial take on the Eddie Bauer situation was. Um, I mean, my first take was Eddie Bauer has a climbing team. I, I had, I genu <laughs> genuinely had no idea. And I was like, man, I must be so out of it. And like, don't get me wrong. I don't pay too much attention to like the mountain world. Mm -hmm. But then the more I was looking around, the more it seemed 50, 50 between outrage that, you know, we're trading pros for, um, influencers. And the other half was Eddie Bauer has a climbing team, like, <laughs> yeah. which kind of, almost proves the point right. of all of this. Like if you had no, you know, I mean, it would, I don't know. It'd be like if Michelin tires 
had been sponsoring Daniel Woods this whole time. And he gets, you know, he gets dropped because they're like, oh, Mello's a conflict of interest. I don't know, whatever. They're using BF Goodrich. Exactly. <laughs> Mello's using BF Goodrich on all their cars. Yeah, we'd be like, wait, hold on. Daniel Woods was sponsored by Michelin. Like, that's what this felt like to me. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I knew that they had a climbing team just because of like paying attention to what Paige did and Paige was on the team. That makes sense. Um, so that's the only way I had any clue that Eddie Bauer had a, a climbing team. I don't know that I ever really saw any media from them other than Paige posting things. Hmm. So um, I'm sort of with you there. But for me, the whole thing sort of points to the way the world is changing and like it or not, climbing is part of the world. And, you know, that means that climbing is also changing. And I'm fortunate to have been involved in music since before I was a climber and to get to see how artists were making pivots when the CD era was ending mm. and the, the digital era was starting. Um, I, I was really privileged to be able to see into the working parts of several um, underground independent hip-hop labels and see how they were making shifts. And you know, I never made a lot of money off of music, but I paid attention to that industry. And it's how I sort of modeled the way Power Company operates. So, so it's something close to my heart for sure. And I think that climbing is at a crossroads similar to where the music industry was 15 or 20 years ago. And pro climbers, as well as entrepreneurs in the space, brands, coaches, creators, whatever, can learn from what musicians had to do in order to survive. So to, to start this, I think I have to give a little bit of music industry history, just how, how musicians have made money over the years um, so that we can sort of compare it to how pro climbers um, are and were and can make money in the future. We're going to simplify here, but artists used to make money off of their physical music, like from vinyl to tapes to CDs. We needed to purchase the, the physical representation of that music. You know, you had mm -hmm. to go to the store and buy the thing. And they were, of, the artists themselves were, of course, beholden to a label and a distributor. So they didn't make all of that money. But at the bottom end of the pile, even the new artists, the unproven artists, were getting about 10% of the physical goods that were sold. And if they were the songwriter of the material, they got more. So big artists like the, you know, back then, the M&Ms, the Mariah Careys, they could command more than 10%. And even if we take that bottom of the pile number, 10%, it doesn't sound like a whole lot. Like I made this thing, I'm only getting 10% of it. Yeah. But if we look at like say 50 Cent, Get Rich or Die Trying was his debut major label album. And what an album. He sold 12 million copies the first year massive. He was pretty new to the major label business. So even if he was only getting a dollar a copy, you know, let's say his CDs were $10, he's getting a dollar of it. That's $12 million the first year. Yeah. 
And that's just for the sales of the music itself. So he's not doing too bad. You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not hurting for money at that point. Independent artists made more per sale because they didn't have the big label and the big distributor and this whole team to pay. But in general, they had much less distribution and reach and promotion than artists with that major label deal. So there's a trade-off there. The, the thing that's important about independent labels is they own their music. So rather than a label owning the material and getting to profit from it in perpetuity, the independent artists own their music and could do with it what they want. If it got a commercial placement 10 years down the road, they profit off that instead of the label profiting off of it. Mm-hmm. Now, then... Napster and piracy happen. You know, big labels are losing their asses, but the listening public fucking loves it, right? The (laughs) the major label system is in triage mode. So what they do is they turn to ringtones, you know, selling selling goofy-ass ringtones, and then (laughs) iTunes happens. So now we're paying 99 cents per song or whatever. And the mm-hmm. artists are still getting a little bit of that and, and doing okay, but not great because we're still getting it for free. We figured that shit out. And then by the late 2000s, we end up or we start entering this era where we are now, and that's streaming. That's how most people get their music now. And it has firmly set the expectation, I think, in all of our minds that the music is free or at the very least we pay $16 a month and we get unlimited quantities of music. Yeah. And that's a huge shift from you have to go to the store, purchase their music, listen to it until the tape dies or the CD dies or the vinyl is scratched. And then you have to go buy it again. And that, that public expectation of free music, the, Labels and the artists are losing huge amounts of money um, based, you know, if they compare it to what they were making 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've heard some of the rumblings about this. And I'm, what I want to know is, do you have a sense for how much artists make in this streaming era when their songs stream on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever? Do you have an idea of what they make per stream? Um, only the slightest. There was a blog, I think from like 2016 and it was like a German blog and the guy broke down the cost of living based on, um, Mm. I think it was Spotify (laughs) streams. And so obviously these numbers are many years off. It could have been from earlier than that. Um, but it was, uh, hilarious. You know, it was like, oh, you need whatever, like 60,000 streams to buy a a gallon of milk kind of stuff like that. Um, so no, I don't, I don't know too well. That's pretty accurate. And we're, we're all, we're going to generalize and oversimplify here again, just for the sake of getting the point across. But artists are now making not a fraction of a penny, a fraction of a fraction of a penny hmm. for every stream. And the biggest artists today, the, the Drakes, the Beyonce's, the Rihanna's, um, they make about 25% royalty per stream, which sounds better than making 10%, Mm -hmm. but 
the cost per stream is around 0.0034 cents. That's about the average across all of the streaming sites. So that would mean they need approximately 1,176,470 streams to make $1,000. Okay. And those are the big artists. The lower tier artists make way less. So what we're getting at here is that the thing they do, the thing they make, their music, they are musicians, it's been dramatically devalued. So not even the top artists can make a living simply selling music, which is the system of just 30 years ago where they were getting rich off just selling their music. Mm -hmm. So the way I sort of feel about it is climbers and adventurers who think they should get paid just to go on adventures and go climbing because it's authentic and that's what they do. And then not have to do more than that to sustain a partnership with major companies are just way, way, way behind the times. It's a sad picture. The final blow hits you. Somebody else gets what you wanted again. Sad picture, Nate. (laughs) (laughs) So where does Taylor Swift fit into all of this? And first, I have to be really honest. I'm not a Swifty at all. Her music isn't necessarily for me. Um, That's okay. I do respect and admire what she does and what she's built. I think it's really fucking remarkable, actually. She's one of the artists, maybe the best example of of an artist who came in during the CD era, this old model where they were making a lot of money from their songs, and then not only transitioned into the streaming era, there were some bumps along the way, but transitioned in and has created the blueprint for success in this new streaming era. And she did it in pretty dramatic fashion. Little Taylor Swift history here. She signed her first record contract in 2005 when she was 15 years old. And ironically, the label's name is Big Machine Label Group. (laughs) And she was not one of those forward-thinking artists who negotiated to own their music. That just wasn't a big thing for major label artists at the time. Um, In fact, Prince was one of the first artists to like demand that he owned his the masters of his recordings. And there was a big to-do about it. People were just like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? So Big Machine owned her music and her first six albums, um, including five that were number one on Billboard, are still owned by Big Machine. So they make money when you play her music. Taylor doesn't make as much. She was the songwriter uh, for most of her music, so she does get paid off of that. But they still own the recordings themselves. They paid for her to create it. They owned it and they get paid from it. That was That's the model, essentially. I want to point out right now that Taylor Swift is a stand-in in this story for pro climbers, small business owners, writers, coaches, whoever in the climbing industry. Whoever's creating media on their adventures and their climbs, any of that. Big Machine, or maybe the guy in charge of Big Machine in the later years, his name is Scooter Braun, <laughs> 
Nice. Uh, is representing the big business sponsors, the conglomerates who own the big magazines and websites like Pocket Media, you know, they Outside Magazine and Eddie Bauer, lots of these businesses. They are Scooter Braun. And the haters gonna hate, 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 hate. So lesson one here is don't do business with anyone named Scooter. However, Taylor's 15, you know, her parents were seeing money signs. Oh, for sure. And business with Scooter seems good at first because it's the era where they're making money off their music, no matter who owns it. So Taylor's making a lot of money selling her music. But then in 2011, that's when Spotify lands in the U.S. And we have this idea now already because of Napster and piracy that music should be free. In 2013, Spotify lands on mobile devices. And this is when it everybody switches at this point. Famously, Lady Gaga's song Poker Face was the first song to a million streams on Spotify. And she got a royalty check for $167. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so in the CD era, if people wanted to buy that song, have that song, she would have made a million dollars. Instead, mm -hmm. she makes 167. So at this point, 2013, Taylor has stopped making nearly as much money from her sales. And in 2014, she pulls her entire catalog from Spotify saying music should be valued. And she's right. You know, it should be. Radiohead has pulled their catalog. Adele refuses to put her music on streaming at all. Uh, the the industry is in upheaval because it's changing and people don't fucking like change. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's exactly the same as all of the pros who've been pros for a while, not wanting things to change. And when they do getting upset and saying, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, you know, refusing to to change along with the world. Yeah. Lord, what will become of me? I lost my novelty. So just like music labels had to turn to putting out whatever flash in the pan artist who was hot at the moment and, you know, whoever else sounded just like them to make money, you know, their, their goal as a business is to make money, frankly, just like that. The, the climbing magazines, the media outlets are having to switch to the people who are making money for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, this thing has been seen as free to the consumer, you know? So the, the big labels are switching to the hot artists and everybody else who sounds exactly like that hot artist. But Taylor Swift is smart, and she doesn't just sit around and complain that the charts are full of influencers and the fans don't care anymore. And instead, in 2017, she sort of sees the path in front of her. She sees the light. She knows what's coming. And she puts her music back on Spotify and she starts making moves. And this is where it gets really, really interesting. Long
So Taylor leaves Big Machine, leaves Scooter, negotiates a deal with a new label. And in the new deal, she owns all of her music. And she owns all of it that she will be making with this new deal. And because she's making far less money now from the sales of her music, she wants a bigger cut of her past music too. She wants her master recordings, but Big Machine and Scooter are not budging. They're like, fuck that. This is our cash cow. Yeah. We're keeping this. Now, when music is made, there are essentially two different rights to that music. And I alluded to this earlier. There's the rights to the written song and composition, and Taylor writes most of her own material. And then there's the rights to the musical recording itself, the mechanical rights. They, you own this recording that happened mm. in this moment. So Taylor, as the writer of the songs, owned the rights to the composition. Scooter owns the recordings. Taylor's like, fuck you, Scooter. And she had nine number one albums in a row. She has a rabid fan base. So <laughs> she bets on that fan base. And she says, hey, guys, I'm going to re-record my old albums because I own the compositions. I can re-record them, make new mechanical recordings. I'm going to call them Taylor's versions, and I want you all to listen to these new recordings instead of those songs that you already love. You know, that sort of sounds like a recipe for disaster. Like, I already made this thing people love. Now I'm going to change it, and I want you to love it just the same. Yeah. So what she does is she says, I want you to tell me how to make them better. You want a specific guest artist? Tell me done. You want something changed? You want a longer bridge? You want more of a guest? Tell me. Done. And I'm also going to add a bunch of things that the label didn't originally like that I thought needed to be there. So in 2021, six months apart, she re-records and releases two of her old albums that have already been out for years from, 20, from 2008 and 2012. So these are 10 years plus old. They both hit number one on the charts. They become instantly more popular, more streamed than the original versions. So, fuck Scooter. She's got another one coming this year. She's made remixes with some of today's hottest artists like Ice Spice, and she's taking even more fan advice, including reaching back out to the original collaborators who the fans were, were big fans of and wanted more of. That's super fucking smart to include your fan base in what you're building. And this new one that's coming is absolutely going to be her 12th number one release in a row, which is bonkers but we already established that she isn't making nearly as much as she did in her early days from just selling music so why is it important to remake the things so that she owns them that's the big question here and i think she's doing two things really well number one she's innovating she's leading the change um, she's not like waiting for it to prove itself and then trying it. Uh, and, the, you know, the climbers who are lamenting the way it used to be 
are doing exactly the opposite of innovating. They're standing still, wishing that the world was standing still with them. And Mm -hmm. newsflash, that's not what's happening. With And number two, with the switch to streaming and the new public perception that music should be free, something fundamental flipped there. Where it used to be that touring was promotion for an artist's music, like I'm going to come to your town, play these songs so that you'll go buy my album. Now the music has become promotion for touring and for all the other things the artist does. So along with making good music, she recognized the importance of building her fan base and then catering to them. So she talks directly to them. She asks them questions. She responds to their asks. She's active on social media, even regularly commenting on fan sites and fans' social media accounts. So people are buying in uh, figuratively and literally to Taylor Swift. And as a result of her being active and engaging, tickets for her most recent Eras tour that I think is still going on right now broke the record for tickets sold in a single day. It crashed Ticketmaster because 14 million people tried to buy <laughs> tickets at the same time. And the tour is expected to bring in nine figures this year. And she Whoa. owns the thing. You know, she owns the music, she owns the touring, she owns the merch. She's creating what she wants to do and what her fans want. And she's operating like an indie artist. Um, She's just leveraging big platforms, distributors, and promotion to do so. So climbers and entrepreneurs, I think, in, in this outdoor space, need to realize that the adventures and the media created around it is no longer the moneymaker. It's valuable, sure, but it's valuable as promotion. And they need to leverage that promotion to then sell other things and make their money in other places. And they need to own that promotion to some degree in order to leverage it. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing it with some folks who are really forward thinking. People like Adam Ondra, Stefano, Mello. You know, even Magos has jumped into the YouTube game. Mm-hmm. And, and these people are also creating their own products that they can sell via their, you know, promotion machines that they've built. And uh, like Antigrav is the obvious new one mm-hmm. who are killing it. Um, they're finding their own way by connecting with fans, giving fans what they want without having to rely on Scooter. So, do you have any favorites who are doing these things? I think you probably watch more of of this stuff or consume more of this stuff than I do. Um, I think we're both probably steadily watching less and less, but I'm curious who who's who do you see doing this well? Um, I mean, I think there's a couple people who've, who've done it well. You know, I think maybe the most obvious um, would be like Magnus Mitbo. Because he was someone sure. who, I mean, he made kind of the clean cut away from competition into, you know, being a YouTuber. And honestly, what to me is hilarious about it is because like some of it's climbing content, some of it's just content content, but it's so easy to forget that this guy, I mean, he still is elite. Like, cause we'll be like, Hey, I'm going to go hang out with uh Sean Rabbitu in Boulder in, you know, Switzerland. And they go and he's like, 
almost keeping up with Sean and you're like, oh, that's right. He's one of five people to ever on-site 14C in the world. Like Magnus was such a monster and still is. But yeah, I mean, I love it. He's like fully leaned in. Um, As far as climbers who are, you know, doing their own thing now, who are still climbing, I think Andra is a good example. Um, You know, something about Taylor and I think what, may go miss because it's easy to be like oh yeah like she you know she's become this you know so successful on her own now megastar i think she's the second richest woman in entertainment whoa behind rihanna amazing but the thing to remember is like you just described a lot of work that she's done like Mm -hmm. that's a lot of work and that is and work without a known outcome yeah like if I re-record these albums, are people gonna listen? If I spend my year remaking things I did ten years ago, are people gonna care? Yeah, or will it even you know backfire? Yeah, um, yeah. Like it's a lot of work, and you look at what Adam Andre does. You look at what a lot of these people do, and it's like they go out with a team. Like they have, they mm-hmm. now work with a lot of people. Um, like Adam Andre. Yeah, has employees at this point, basically. Yeah. Um, He's not is, just going climbing anymore. No. Um, but, you know, with a larger investment, I'm sure he's also doing a lot better financially. And that also builds this brand. Um, you know, a huge thing with pro climbing, like and a lot of pro climbers will say, like, you know, I want to go out there. I want to inspire the next generation. I want to motivate people, all these things. And in the same breath, they can say, well, you know, it shouldn't matter about the likes and the views. Well, it's like, man, if no one's viewing and no one's liking what you're doing, are you really inspiring the next generation? Are you getting like, does it matter if you're putting up some sick new V16 if no one knows about it, no one's motivated by it, no one's inspired by it? Like if that's your goal, you know, these two things aren't really lining up. Yeah. If if your goal is to just go climbing and not make money from it. You can do that. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard to do. You it, just yeah. go climbing, you know? But if you want it to be a career, you have to treat it like a career. And, you know, the, these people who are complaining that, like, my adventures are authentic and no one cares about authentic adventures. I just want to be able to go on these trips and inspire people. Adam Ondra is the best climber in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Sean Rabatou is one of the best boulders in the world, if not the best boulder. And they are creating lots of media that they own and they're partnering with with their sponsors to push things out there and, and making money off of their ability to push things out there. They're catering to the people who want this product they're creating. You know, they're not just going climbing anymore. Yeah. So if the best in the world aren't just going climbing anymore, why do you think you should just get to go do that? We live in a different world now. It's not 1997 anymore where that was a thing and you could, you know, live this dirtbag lifestyle um, by just going climbing. It's not as easy anymore. Yeah. So I, I, I actually really love the changes they're making. Um, you know, I think much better content is coming out of it. Frankly, like some of the mellow videos, some of Adam Ondra's videos, um, 
I think they're better than the real rock things, you know? They're closer to like skate videos and surf videos that, that just get like, you know, these cult followings and, and that's what they're getting. And that's why they can make money. You know, it's why anti-grab took off so fast. You know, they make really great media that they give to us for free. But then they're like, hey, we're about to have a clothing drop. You know, we gave you all this shit for free. Support us. And -hmm. people are looking for ways to support them. So people buy up their clothing in minutes, you know. Really fucking smart. And on the on the Magnus front, I think I've seen a lot of comments that are like, this isn't even a climbing channel anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not for you then. You know, I don't yeah. I don't listen to Taylor Swift's music, <laughs> but that doesn't mean she's not doing all the right things. For sure. You know? So Magnus is doing the right things. He's he's making content that's gonna get more views, sell more things, get bigger sponsor dollars, all of that. And he's getting to travel pretty much wherever he wants and go climbing with whoever he wants because he's spending all the time bringing this team with him to make all of this content. Yeah. Smart. No, absolutely. Um, You know, and I think one other good example is, uh, I mean, I think Sean Rabbitu's a great example because this is the first time really that we have, you know, let's say one of, if not the top climber in the world. And we get to actually like meet the person because so often Mm -hmm. it would be like, Oh, we have Chris Sharma and there are these little vignettes and videos, you know, these like short sentences that all of us would quote from like dosage or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, we would build up like, Oh, this is what this person must be like based on these three sentences that we actually heard him say kind of thing. Where were this now with Sean? It's like, man, you get to actually see this person, meet this person in a way like you see there, you see his full, like, I mean, so much more of his personality. And the thing is, it just makes me like him more and it makes me cheer for him more like when I see these videos and he's just like, oh man, this is really hard. Like, you know, I'm working through this. This feels like heinous. Um, you know, and he says hilarious shit. Like I think when he went to try Sudane soul, he was just like, well, I've, uh, I've now tried all the V 17s in the world. So I guess I can't flash one anymore. Like <laughs> stuff like that. I love that that was recorded and it's just like, you know, just a part of this. Um, yeah. And I yeah. love that you get to see, you know, where, where they go, you're also getting to see all of the rest of the best climbers in the world, trying things, falling on things, getting frustrated. You know, you get to see some of that process in there. And Adam Aldra's similar, you know, his and Stefano's videos on Excalibur were great. You know, you get to see all of the different ways people are approaching this thing. Um, and you saw it in the YouTube comments of like, I love this. You know, I love yeah. the crossover episodes and everybody climbing with everybody. That's exactly like Taylor Swift saying, oh, you want Ice Spice on this remix? Great. I'm going to get Ice Spice on this remix because she's the hottest, newest artist. So I'm going to bring her in for this, you know? Mm-hmm. While this is more work for all of these climbers, like this is not 
you know, the CD era of climbing back when it was like, oh, a film crew is just going to follow you around. I mean, it also is like, like, it's just a, it's more power in the actual climber's hands, which I think is great. I mean, cause that's, you know, that's something that I don't think it gets talked about enough, but like for a lot of pro climbers, once they're done, like, it's not like they had, they owned anything that they could walk away with after their career. You know, you look, even Chris Sharma owns a gym. Like he, he for a long time has done partnership deals. Like he had evolve, like the Sharma shoes. He had, I think he had clothing lines in Prana. Like they were specific to him, but you know, he owns gyms now. Like he is doing things where his name is branded. And I mean, this is a way that you, you know, it, it, it's hard not to roll your eyes at it, but you like, you literally build your own brand but then that's something you get to keep and take with you. You get to monetize and like, man, cause I'm not, you know, these people who are doing amazing feats of athleticism now and like, you know, they are pushing our sport forward. They're motivating future generations. Like I would love to see them financially set in the future to where they're not like, ah, oh, damn, I didn't go to college so that I could climb harder. And then I put all my energy into shoe company A and clothing company B and now I'm like, my body's beat up. I have, you know, and I don't really have anything to show for it. I've got to, I got to get a job and a career now and I'm, you know, 40, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the important aspects of what you just said is that like, if Sean Rabitou or Adam Ondra strike a partnership with a company, you know, say it's the North Face, it's probably advantageous for the North Face to say, yeah, let's put this on your YouTube channel mm-hmm. because you've created this massive following and rabid fans. Whereas we'll, if we put it on ours, it's just going to go out to, you know, a bunch of people who like puffy coats. <laughs> yeah. And if we put it on Mellow, because you're endorsing it, people are going to come and buy it. So, you know, that's a really important part of this. And it's also important that you know, in the Chris Sharma era, when he was making films, it was like, I don't know what his like business dealings were with, with the, the Big Up crew, but Big Up would just follow him around, film things, and then they own the material. Mm-hmm. And they can leverage it for future things. Chris Sharma doesn't own those films. If, you know, if Adam Ondra is paying somebody to follow him around, he owns the footage of him sending silence or whatever you know that's a really important part of this so now if somebody wants to use sean rabitou climbing alfane they need to talk to sean about it not to the north face or whoever owned the camera crew whoever paid the camera crew to go and film it totally super important and i think you know one thing that might get lost in this and and was maybe the most disconcerting part of all this for me when I first saw the the athletes speaking out against the Eddie Bauer closure is that we can't we can't get mad at the influencers you know it, it isn't their fault and the haters gonna hate 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 and in fact I'd say it's my opinion that if you want to say these influencers are stealing our jobs by posing as climbers without having to do the work, you know, without having to be authentic and go on these adventures, then I'm going to counter with, 
these pros are stealing our jobs by posing as coaches without ever having had to really <laughs> coach. Or these pros are stealing our jobs by posing as podcasters or filmmakers or whatever without having to pay their dues. It's fucking absurd to say that someone is stealing your job by being better at your job than you are. That's yeah. stupid. They're just better at your job. So they should get the job, you know? Yeah. The, in, the influencers are more valuable at selling clothing because they aren't afraid to sell things, you know? Maybe you call it selling out. I don't even know what that means, but they aren't afraid to do it. They're doing the necessary work that the athletes don't want to do because they are athletes and we just athlete. Mm -hmm. They're building a following. They're communicating with fans. They're doing the work. Yeah. So my advice, instead, do what Taylor Swift did. Make cooler, better shit, innovate, and either own what you're making or partner up with people who share your values and will let you, you know, own part of what you're making. Not just the person who will give you the biggest one-time paycheck for what you make. Um, then you walk away with nothing once that money is spent. So you have to, you also have to give your fans what you want. You have to be your own fucking influencer these days. You know, mm -hmm. it's just what it is. And if you can't stomach that, if you don't believe in what you're doing enough to try to sell it, then maybe this, this valuable commodity you have, this authenticity isn't really that valuable after all. always have been nate thoughts on all uh, of this um shout out to lauren for all these great uh <laughs> help with the clips yeah i i hit her up uh like look i know nothing about taylor swift's music <laughs> um here's the gist of this episode could you you know, point me in the direction of some songs that talk about this stuff and she was like i'm at lunch with a friend we're on it right now let me go grab and, my dream board. I'll be there in five. <laughs> yeah, and she just kept coming back to me. Like over the over the past two weeks, she's been like, oh, here's another one. Here's another one. I hit up another friend and she gave you this list. Amazing. <laughs> this is fucking amazing. Her whole crew of Swifties have been invaluable for this. That's great. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's, you know, industries change. Like it, like I get it. If I was a, if I was a pro, and I could look back at like Chris Sharma, who literally just got followed around. I mean, that's the dream of like, I'm just going to go climb the biggest, prettiest, hardest lines and people will do whatever they can to come film me. And I'm going to just get a check in the mail for it. And obviously I'm sure I'm simplifying. I bet Chris had to do more than that, but that from yeah. the outside is how it looks incredible. Who wouldn't want that? Like, and it's easy to understand being a little sour. Like even as a coach, like, honestly, I just want to coach. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to have to put myself out there, but unfortunately it's like, that is part of it. But also like, I think there's a lot of value in that as well. Like, and I mean, we see it in, man, I think it's a cool era just as someone who 
likes to consume media. Like I love getting to see these top level climbers from more than just these quick clips in, you know, a La Sportiva video or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think this is great. Like, I think there's going to be some growing pains. Um, and there's going to be some people who lament how things are changing. They're going to mm-hmm. say, you know, it's not the way it used to be and it used to be better, but you know, that's just, that's how it always is. Like people are always going to feel stagnant. Um, I think the hate on influencers is, um, I think there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot there. Like, yeah. I don't know it. There's a lot that could be picked apart. Like when Alex Honnold poses on a magazine cover naked, but just with a chalk bag in front of his, uh, genitals, yeah. totally fine. But like, I mean, I just saw him doing a soap commercial. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm like, you're you're a former dirtbag climber. You don't know shit about soap. <laughs> well, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> don't um, tell me about soap. <laughs> but yeah, like we see him pose naked on a magazine and we're like, yeah, no, that's cool. He actually looks totally jacked. Um, but if we see like women on Instagram posing in anything other than like on a V11, we're like, they're an influencer. Right. Like right. there's a lot to be picked apart there. Um, and let's be honest, Alex Honnold is not in the top tier of strong climbers no no i mean he'll be the first to say that too yeah Um, exactly yeah he's done a thing that is unique to him and he's he's sold the shit out of that and so he has cashed in on the fact that he can solo at a higher level than most people yeah i mean man's got a podcast he's like uh you know, has a huge movie that like all he's got my an Oscar. I was gonna say he's got an Oscar. Oscar. All my aunts and uncles know his name. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. And that's great. Like, he is like in a lot of ways the king of the influencers. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but yeah, we don't we don't call him an influencer for different reasons. So I think there's things that could be picked apart there. But in general, I think there's a lot of growing pains right now. I think this will be a great move for the industry. And I hope it's a great move for pro climbers. Like I hope that they can be, you know, financially set down the road. I hope that this can be something where it feels more empowering with time where maybe in this moment, and especially probably five years ago, it felt like power was being stripped from them. Mm -hmm. I hope it starts to be seen as, Oh, this is going to take more work than it used to, but I will get to have more control. And this is going to be something where I'm going to have a better future because of it. And I have more opportunity because of it. Yeah, I I agree. I don't, I don't like how hopeful you sound though. I, (laughs) I prefer the, the sort of y'all just need to fucking change. This is the bad blood podcast. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take uh, a look what you've done. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. I can't take it back. Look where I'm at. I don't hate you, but I hate to critique overrate you. I really just wanted to play that again. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I, I do hope that it it's moving in that direction for people. Um, and just to let you all know, I've been working really hard on the next remix episode, Failure, and it's a monster of an episode. It's a monster of a topic. It really fucked my head up for a couple of weeks. 
Uh, it's taken me for quite the ride. I, I think I have all the of the interviews I need now. There's some really great ones and some really great things in there. I've connected lots of unexpected dots and I've started laying it out. So expect that thing soon. But until then, you all know where to find us at Power Company Climbing on all the socials, except for the Twitterverse, where the tweeter's going to tweet, 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 <laughs> because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this time,